during this period this morning. I'd like to take some time to offer some elaboration on the 22nd version of the instructions. And I'll spend probably much of the time during this period exploring the instructions. We'll have time for perhaps a short uh, meditation. But I find for this particular practice a kind of a reframing of how practice works. Um, It's helpful to take the time to, to do that during this first day. So we'll mostly have instructions this morning and then at the next period, at the 10.15 sitting, I'll uh, offer a little bit more of a uh, a guided meditation um, so that there's a, you know, bringing those, these instructions into a full period of practice. So I'd like to start by talking about a little bit about some language, some terms I'll be using a lot. And uh, one of the, one of that sets of terms is objects and mind that I will often be talking about what are the objects of attention and how is the mind in relationship to those objects. So the objects, what I mean by objects is any experience at the six sense doors. So the objects of our meditation, the objects of experience are sights, sounds, smells, taste, touch, and things happening in our minds. So as we um, experience our lives, what we are experiencing, the what, essentially the what of our meditation is are the objects of meditation. Speaking about it in this way, um, one of the important pieces about this particular style of practice is that the objects of meditation aren't very important for us. What we're paying attention to, what is arising in the moment is just a sense experience. Not particularly important what the sense experience is. What's more important is how the mind is with that experience. So this is the emphasis on mindfulness of mind. So the mind is what is doing the observing. How the observing is taking place. How is the mind observing experience? Is it tense? Is it agitated? Frustrated? Having a sense of wanting, of desire arising? Confused? Or perhaps at ease with experience? So often in our meditation practice, one of the kind of orientations that many of us have practiced with, the emphasis is on the object of experience. The training for many of us has been with pay attention to the object, notice, notice the object, notice the qualities of the object. 
that's less interesting for us or less of an emphasis, let's say less of an emphasis for us in this practice. So not so much about the, um, the, the qualities of the object itself, but more interested in how the mind is, how we get lost, how we're relating to the object. So there's no need to choose a particular object for our meditation. It can support us at times. I mean, this is something I'll be talking with each of you about uh, in the group discussions Um, for some people it can be helpful to touch into some really obvious experience to begin a period of meditation, just to kind of ground and remind remind ourselves, you know, oh, this is what it means to be paying attention. But we don't have to pick any particular experience. It doesn't have to be the breath, for instance. Just uh, choose some obvious experience as a place to... Ground, settle, connect with mindfulness in the present moment. So that that can be one um, support for us in making this shift from kind of more object-oriented meditation to this looking at the mind. A couple of other pieces about the um, the usual way we practice in being oriented to the the object. At least in my own practice, something I've noticed is that if I'm um, giving preference to a particular object of meditation, sometimes because I've got that agenda, because I have the agenda to pay attention to that particular object. Sometimes something will happen in the mind. It gets interested in something else. Um, it, it has an idea about what needs to happen. And that isn't noticed clearly because of this agenda to be paying attention to the breath. And when that happens, sometimes that can be the place where we get lost. That can be the place where our mind wanders out of the present moment. So with this practice, having less of an emphasis on the object, one of the, one of the ways I like to explore this practice is with the notion of following the awareness. So you may start, for example, with a, some obvious object of attention. You may choose, okay, well, there's you know, the body, the body contact maybe is, a, is an obvious place to begin. And so starting there, but when you see or you, you may begin to notice that the, you're, you're paying attention to the body and then the attention gets drawn to the sound of a bird outside or the tapping. Well, we've got the tape on the window now. Maybe the bird won't be so enthralled with its reflection. But some, some um, sound may happen and the attention will move 
to some other experience, another body sensation, a feeling, an emotion. So we're paying attention. We start with one thing, and then the attention moves to something else. Rather than having the idea, oh, I'm supposed to be paying attention to the breath, or I'm supposed to be paying attention to this sensation of the body. Instead, having the sense of following the awareness. This is, you know, it kind of again brings a bridge from the object-oriented practice to the mind-oriented practice. Because when you are allowing, essentially you're allowing the attention to shift between objects, you're beginning to get a sense of the mind is doing that. Often it's not something you're choosing to do. It's like you're sitting there paying attention to the pressure of your legs or your feet on the floor. And then there's a sound, and suddenly you're paying attention to the sound. It's not as if you thought, oh, there's a sound. I think I'll pay attention to that. The attention is just there. The mind does that. Causes and conditions create a a shift of the attention. And so as we learn to follow the awareness, we're learning how to watch the mind. Because the factor of attention, the factor of attention can be, it's kind of like the breath in a way, the factor of attention. The breath, you know the breath, you can um, choose to breathe in and breathe out, right? You can, you can do that consciously. Or you can settle back and just allow the breath to breathe itself. Kind of similar with attention. You can choose where to put attention, consciously choosing, okay, I'm going to pay attention to my breath right now, I'm going to pay attention to my feet right now. So it has some conscious, um, uh, there's a connection between our choice and attention. Or we can simply kind of settle back and watch how the attention naturally moves. So it's kind of got that dual um, aspect, kind of like the breath does. And the encouragement in this practice is more to follow, to get familiar with what is the mind doing. So in terms of looking at how we are observing, noticing objects of experience, noticing body sensations or um, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral experience or feelings, all of those just being objects of experience. It's helpful from time to time also to to notice how we are relating to experience. I'll talk about this more in just a minute. But one thing I want to say about that is in noticing, for instance, the mind is not liking some particular body sensation. That's uh, recognizing how the attention is around the uh, object. Kind of like you're noticing the filter through which you're seeing the experience. There's no need 
to do anything in particular with noticing our relationship to experience. No need to change or try to fix the not liking, try to get rid of it, but just more open to and recognize, oh, that's happening too. It's it's as if what what seems to happen, at least in my experience, is it's like we're looking through a veil, looking through a filter of some kind. So in this example, looking through a filter of not liking and perhaps not clearly aware that that filter is there. When we become aware that that filter is there, there's no need particularly to do anything about it except to allow the uh, awareness of that not liking in this example to, to be uh, known. As we recognize that filter, we will see perhaps how that filter of not liking impacts our experience. So we open our, uh, kind of step back. To me it feels like stepping back. We step back and can see a filter that we're looking through. As we step back, it's not that we're, this is a key for me at least. Uh, I used to think about mindfulness of mind, and I'm going to use a gesture here, so some of you with your eyes closed might want to open your eyes. Uh, I often think about mindfulness of mind, or used to think about mindfulness of mind as being turning and looking at the mind. You know, turning and looking back at the mind itself. And really what I've seen it is, it's a stepping back and seeing how is the mind observing. So when we step back, it's not that we stop seeing objects. I had this idea that mindfulness of mind meant I'm looking at the mind directly and I'm not seeing objects. But actually mindfulness of mind, the whole way we know the mind is through how it experiences objects. So the mindfulness of mind to me feels like stepping back and recognizing the lens through which I am seeing the objects. So to me that's a, an image that works, a stepping back as opposed to a turning towards. So if we recognize, for instance, you know, a, a flavor of not liking in our, uh, mind, in our mindfulness or a flavor of not liking in how we're relating to experience, that doesn't mean that we need to, oh, let me investigate, turn towards that not liking. It just means that that becomes yet one of the many things that are known in the present moment experience. It like expands the field of what we know. So there's no need to change how the mind is observing when we recognize a how. But in the very recognition of the filter, it can... um, just the very recognition that, oh, not liking is the filter through which I'm seeing the experience. That very uh, recognition has the capacity to shift that attitude, that filter, from being how we're looking at the world to just being yet one of the many objects that are arising in the present moment.
So as I mentioned yesterday, relaxation I find to be really helpful. And I'll emphasize it a lot, especially the first days of the retreat. Consciously relaxing. Relax the body, supports a relaxed mind. The relaxed mind supports a kind of a natural, easeful awareness. So initially, in the first days of the retreat, you may find it really helpful to consciously relax. Then as the retreat goes on, this will be something we talk about in the groups, um, but you may find it rather than when you notice tension, you know, you may be sitting there and keep noticing, wow, you know, I sit here and I'm just seeming to be paying attention to what's uh, arising in the flow of experience, and I'm find that, you know, the shoulders get hunched regularly. Okay, we'll consciously relax them. Or maybe there's a tightening inside the body that seems to happen. And you can consciously relax it and then just with the flow of experience. And then you find it's there again. And then consciously relax it and with the flow of experience. And then you find it's there again. At some point, you may find it helpful rather than to do the conscious relaxation to simply allow the tension and know that as an object also. And so as we move through the retreat, there's kind of an encouragement to notice the tension, notice the tightness, instead of consciously relaxing it. But initially, in the first days, it's really helpful to consciously relax as much as possible. So the Buddha taught the Eightfold Path, and within the Eightfold Path, there are three factors that contribute to stability of mind. Wise effort, wise mindfulness, wise concentration. And I'd like to speak for just a little bit about how those work in this practice. Mindfulness, we talked some about last night. Um... I talked about it just a little bit this morning, the sense of uh, recognizing awareness, I think, to be one of the most helpful things to learn for this practice. When we can recognize what it is to be mindful, can recognize how it feels, what the experience of being aware present is, that supports us in... um, maintaining an awareness. The practice of mindfulness with a specific object, we, uh, we connect that mindful attention to a given experience like the breath, and we get familiar with what it means to be paying attention to the breath. In this practice, not having that kind of an anchor, it gets really, um, it gets harder to recognize in a way, when am I present, when am I not present? So a clarity or a familiarity with what does it mean to actually be aware uh, will serve you. And so we'll uh, be exploring that. The effort that we apply in this practice, as I said last night, the first instruction Saito Utejaniya gave to me was the only work you give your mind is to remind yourself to be aware. So right now, I'm going to 
point some experiences out to you. Notice the sensations of your hands. Notice the sensation of contact wherever your body's touching, the chair or cushion or bench. Notice the sound of my voice. How hard is it to notice any of those things? You know, often when I mention each of them, it's not very hard. Pretty much the attention goes right there. I mention contact of lips touching. There it is. So it's actually not very hard. There's not, it doesn't take a lot of effort to have a moment of awareness. That level of just knowing, know the experience of your hands. How hard is it? So in a moment, it's not very difficult to have that awareness present. What is difficult, more difficult, is to... um, sustain that over time. And this, I think, is a lot of where we get wound up and tight in the practice, is in the effort to sustain the mindfulness over time. So the practice here of sustaining the mindfulness, um, I use an analogy I like to use this analogy. Um, those of you who've sat with me before have heard this, so just bear with me. Um, if you're, have you seen those scooters that kids ride? You know, this little narrow platform that they put their foot on and they tap the ground to get going. So to get the momentum of the scooter up, you just have to gently tap the ground. But initially, you have to keep tapping, just gently. It's not like you have to push really hard or put in a lot of muscle energy to get the scooter going. You can just go tap, 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 tap. Quick little taps, more, more frequent little taps, and the scooter will gain some momentum. And then after a while, you don't have to tap as frequently. You get familiar with the feeling of the scooter going and the wobbly way it starts to feel when you need to put your foot down and tap again. So you, you learn how much you need to, the, the, you know, the feeling of the scooter and the wobbliness of the scooter gives you the feedback that you need to know, okay, I need to put my foot down again and tap again to get the momentum back. So the mindfulness, the effort in mindfulness for this practice is very similar to that. That at the beginning, we remind ourselves to be aware more frequently. Kind of like, Um, like that tapping, just recognizing, am I aware? Am I aware? What am I aware of? 
And rather than trying to hold on to the mindfulness, trying to sustain the mindfulness, we allow the momentum of mindfulness to build by gently, repeatedly connecting over and over and over again. It will naturally build, much as the momentum of the scooter naturally builds. And then we start to get familiar, and this is part of the reason why it's so helpful to get familiar with the quality of being mindful, being aware, because we we get familiar with that feeling, and we start to feel when it gets a little wobbly. You know, you, you may get a sense after reminding yourself, you know, making that just little bit of effort, short moment of effort, light touch, light touch, I'll use that phrase a lot, light touch of effort. After using that light touch of effort, you may begin to get a sense of what it feels like to have the mindfulness being more continuous, the uh, flavor of resting, abiding in that mindfulness. And you may also begin to get a sense of what it feels like when that awareness gets a little wobbly, when it starts to drift out. And then you recognize, oh, okay, need to bring back some of that intentionality. So the, the effort and the practice is not a bearing down. It's not a forcing to try to hold on to any object. It's a gentle reminder. Am I aware? What am I aware of? You can use those questions if you find it helpful. I initially did find it helpful in my practice to actually use those questions. It's not to um, to be directing the attention or to try to find an answer to those questions so much, but rather to uh, kind of just prompt the mindfulness. The two parts to that are actually both important, to just highlight that there are two parts to that. So am I aware? If you can even remember to ask yourself that question, the answer is Yes, but it's, I find it important to actually connect with that question because it begins to point out to us this quality of awareness itself. As you ask your mind that question, am I aware? It kind of orients to what does it feel like to be aware? So we begin to recognize, again, recognize that quality of awareness itself by asking that question, am I aware? Am I aware as distinct from what am I aware of? So it's highlighting the mind in that question, highlighting the, uh, the knowing of awareness itself. So am I aware? And then what am I aware of? What's obvious? Another question that... Um, can be used there. What's already known? Again, not trying to direct the attention, not needing to direct the attention, but just in the recognizing, oh, I'm aware, what is naturally known? Again, you may, at, at sometimes you may not be so clear about that, and that's okay. You don't have to have an answer to the question. But if you 
if you ask the question, it may be clear to you. What's obvious? Oh, pressure. That's what's obvious. Pleasant. That's what's obvious. So mindfulness and effort together, those two pieces, the the effort being just the gentle, persistent reminding yourself to be aware. That kind of way of making effort um, should hopefully create a momentum of the mindfulness as opposed to exhausting the mind. One thing that um, my teacher... Sairu Tejaniya sometimes says, is if you're getting tired throughout the day in meditation, you're probably making too much effort at some point. That the, the light touch of effort will tend to build the momentum of mindfulness in a non-exhausting way and will actually increase our energy. So if you find at certain points of the day that you're just exhausted from doing the practice, you might explore backing off the effort a little bit and see how little effort does it take to actually be aware. That's a a question I ask myself pretty frequently because I tend to be an over-efforter. How little effort does it actually take to be here in this moment? Mindfulness and effort together, those two will create the momentum of mindfulness, the continuity of mindfulness. And that's where concentration comes in, in this practice. It is simply the stability of the mindfulness with changing experience. So the concentration is not about being with one object for a long period of time. That's a a way of meditating that produces tranquility. This kind of meditation, uh, tranquility can happen, for sure. But it's not the goal of the practice. It will happen very naturally as the mind stabilizes in the present moment. That sense of ease will happen. The sense of the mind being peaceful and balanced will happen. But it's not uh, anything we're particularly aiming for, especially in the first few days of the practice. What we're aiming for is the cultivation of this quality of mindfulness moment after moment. Entering into the river, the stream, the flow of our experience. So I'd like to say a few more words about um, looking at the how of our experience. Sometimes the language I use is recognizing how we're paying attention. Sometimes what's our relationship? What's the attitude that we're bringing to our meditation. The attitude 
relationship may have to do with the objects that are happening. You know, the, the attitude may be around, I don't like this experience. Or, yes, more of that, please. Or confusion around what's going on. So the, the, um, the, the, the mind can have a relationship with the what of our experience. That's one kind of attitude that happens. You may notice that. Another kind of attitude is agendas about the meditation itself. The idea of wanting to get more concentrated or wanting it to be peaceful or having an idea of needing to have something happen. That's another um, kind of attitude. So again, the object isn't so important. Whatever's happening, it's, it's helpful to know what the object is. I'm not saying it's not important that the object, you know, that we don't, that we don't need to pay attention to objects or we don't need to know what the objects are. But what the object is is not important. We're cultivating, working with, uh, getting familiar with how we are, what our filters are, what our attitudes are. These attitudes about the objects, the, the attitudes, the agendas we bring to the meditation itself. Our uh, practice is hoping to find, hoping to uh, cultivate a balanced attention, a wise attitude, where whatever object is arising, the mind is perfectly at ease with that. So this is what... um, Sayadaw Uteshaniya sometimes calls right attitude. So, right attitude, balanced attitude, wise attitude is a way of observing experience where there's not reactivity. We feel at ease with what's, what's happening. Now, it's unlikely that we'll start the retreat with continuous balance of mind, ease around whatever's arising in our experience. And so what we do is rather than trying to change our attitude when we notice, for example, oh, not liking is arising around this knee pain, rather than trying to change that to, well, let me try to find ease with that knee pain, trying to do something to manipulate that attitude, what we do instead is to get to know the not liking. We get to know our unskillful attitudes. That's the pathway to wise attitude. In fact, if you can recognize the not liking, know that filter, and be at ease with that not liking being present. That's wise attitude. Wise attitude around the not liking. The the not liking has moved from being the filter through which we're seeing experience to just being an object of experience. And how are we with that object? Perhaps we're afraid of the not liking. Then there's that to notice. So there are roughly four basic flavors of attitude 
I'll talk about this more this afternoon, but uh, just to briefly mention them now. There's um, greed, aversion, delusion as attitude, so wanting something to happen, wanting something to stop happening, and delusion, confusion, for instance, about what's happening. And then there is the attitude of balance of mind. Ease, peacefulness. So we can check in. Again, using a question, it can be really helpful to use a question to check the attitude. What's my attitude? How am I relating to this experience? Again, not to try to find it. Just the simple dropping in of the question. I talked about the dropping in of the resolves last, last night and just seeing what the ripple effect is of that resolve. It's kind of similar. Drop in the question, what's my attitude? And see if something becomes clear. If not, just go back to noticing that you're aware, what you're aware of. It's not so helpful, at least in my own experience, it's not so helpful to... Um, do a lot of checking of the attitude, like, oh, what's my attitude, and what's my attitude, and you know, it can go into a kind of an infinite regress, just, what's my attitude, and well, what's my attitude about that, and what's my attitude about that, and what's my attitude about that, and the mind begins to kind of spin a little bit. So I find it helpful to, from time to time, check in about the attitude, especially early in the practice. Over the course of the practice, the more you get familiar with the recognizing mindfulness, the more you get familiar with being with the flow of experience and checking the attitude, it begins to just happen naturally. I I rarely ask myself these questions anymore. It's just much more natural that I'm noticing what's happening and then the mind kind of orients and knows, oh, and it doesn't like that. Okay, and that's there. So... um, Initially, though, it can be helpful to actually use the questions. In using the questions, I'd suggest from time to time, maybe, you know, every few minutes, check in to your attitude. There's some particularly good times to check the attitude. If you're feeling a sense of struggle, it feels like something's hard or difficult in the meditation, that's a good time to check your attitude. When you come back from the mind wandering in thought, another good time to check your attitude. Sometimes when the mind wanders off, well, there can be attitudes about returning back into awareness, you know, judgment or um, uh, self-negativity about, wow, I'm I'm such a bad yogi or something. But also sometimes when the mind wanders off into thought, um, attitudes can creep in to in the wandering, you know, that, that uh, your mind has wandered off into something you were doing yesterday, and, you know, when you come back, the flavor of something from that wandering can have created a filter. And so sometimes when we return from wandering, it can be helpful. It can be helpful to check the attitude when we return from wandering. And then... Another time it's really helpful to check the attitude 
is if you think or it feels like things are going really well. Check your relationship to that. So let's do a brief, we'll just do a very brief um, sitting here. And then again, I'll do a longer guided meditation at 10.15. 